one blessed thing that I always experience when I come to this place on a Sunday morning is the presence of the Lord. You know, I know that we don't have to come here to experience that presence, but it's good to know that we can come here expecting to run into the presence of the Lord. What a blessing it truly, truly is. You know, it's our faith in God. Our faith in God, friends, that enables us to see the challenges in life. It's our faith in God that even enables us to meet death. Why? Not because we can see, but because we're seen. Amen? It's our faith in God that empowers us to press on in this life. Not because we know all the answers, but because we're known by the one who does. Amen? But faith, faith is often the greatest obstacle to someone becoming a Christian. Did you know that? Faith is often the greatest obstacle to someone becoming a Christian because of this reason. In many cases, at least, what hinders an unbeliever from coming to Christ is how a professing believer is living out his or her life. The greatest hindrance to someone coming to Christ is how a professing Christian is actually living his or her life. I read this. I read that the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians that acknowledge Jesus with their lips but deny Him with their lifestyle. Would you agree with that? That, friend, is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Living the life of faith. Living the life of faith. It's perhaps the Christian's greatest challenge. It's difficult to live that life of faith day in and day out. But listen, y'all, to make a difference in this world we live in, we have got to live what we believe. Are you hearing me, church? We have got to live what we believe. Well, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about what we believe, and, and I shared with you that gospel statement last week. But I want to tell you a little bit about what faith is. In Hebrews chapter 11, in the first verse, we're told that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence, say evidence, the evidence of things not seen. See, people can't see the evidence unless you show it to them. People can't see your relationship with Jesus Christ unless you provide them with some evidence. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that sinners are saved by faith. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Faith's important. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that we can't even please God without faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is God and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. 
So faith is very important in the life of a Christian. But listen, for faith to be real, for faith to be genuine, listen to me, it's got to be coupled with corresponding action. For faith to be real, it's got to be coupled with corresponding action. And today's Bible passage discusses this relationship. This relationship between faith and action. And this passage will remind us that profession is not always possession. What we profess may not always be what it is we possess. So this morning, James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, explains to us three kinds of faith, only one of which is true saving faith. So friend, you can walk out of here this morning knowing if you have true saving faith or not. Now, I'm going to be reading from James chapter 2, and I'm going to start in verse 14. But I'm going to share it with you from the New Living Translation of the Bible. And it begins like this in verse 14. James says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you do not show it by actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but you don't give that person any food or any clothes. What good is that? So you see that faith by itself isn't enough unless it is a faith that produces good deeds. It is dead and useless, James says. Now someone may argue, well, some people have faith, some people have good deeds. How can you show me your faith unless unless you have good deeds? I'll show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith because you believe that there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe and tremble. How foolish is that line of thinking? Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember our ancestor, Abraham, was shown, say shown, Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac upon the altar. You see, his faith and his actions worked together. What we do, friend, is shown by what we do. His faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened just as the scriptures say that Abraham believed God in this way and counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown, say shown, 
we are shown to be right with God by what we do and not mere faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, was another example. Rahab was shown, say shown, Rahab was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. So just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good deeds. Now, the first, part, the first point that James makes in this passage is this. It appears, apparently, there are some professing Christians that have dead faith. Some professing Christians have dead faith. In verse 14, James said, What does it profit my brother if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked or destitute of food, and one of you says, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things which are needed, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You see, friend, wherever there is truth, you will also find counterfeit. Wherever there is something real, you will also find something that is fake. And in Matthew 7, 21, the Lord Jesus said, Not everyone who says, say says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. You see, people with counterfeit faith, people with dead faith, love substituting words for deeds. They use good church words like forgiveness and love and righteousness. They can pray eloquently. Many of them can testify about their story regularly. They may be able to quote the right verses from the Bible. But their walk does not support their talk. They think that their words are just as good as their works. But listen, church, they are wrong. Because faith must be coupled with corresponding actions. In verses 15 and 16, James provided us a very simple illustration that we can all understand. The gist of it is this. A very poor believer walks into church. He's from over in the poor side of town. And he walks in, he doesn't have a warm coat, and he's obviously very hungry. The professing Christian, with dead faith, with counterfeit faith, noticed the visitor coming in. And knew that he needed a coat, knew that he could use some food. But as the visitor was leaving, that person with counterfeit faith said, Hey, have a great night. Hey, find a warm place to sleep. Hey, don't forget to eat dinner tonight. And that visitor went away just as hungry and just as cold as he walked in. Friend, as true faithful believers, as true faithful believers, you and I have an obligation 
We have an obligation to meet the needs of people no matter who they are. Now, if you don't believe me, maybe you'll believe Jesus. Because when Jesus was teaching about the final judgment one time, he expressed this truth very clearly. In Matthew chapter 25, listen to what the Lord Jesus said. He was telling about when the Son of Man will come at the end of time. And he said that he will set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And he will say to them, He will say to them on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison, not because of some crime he'd done, but because of his faith. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous, those sheep on the right hand, would say, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or naked and clothe you? Lord, when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And then he will say also to those goats on the left, he'll say, depart from me. You cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. And those also will answer the king saying, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and we did not minister to you? When? And the king would say, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not, do it to one of these the least my brethren you did not do it to me and these will go away these goats will go away into the everlasting punishment but the righteous unto eternal life it seems to me that it made a difference to the king it makes a difference to Jesus if you bring corresponding action along with your faith. Those folks, the goats that were on the left, they had dead faith, counterfeit faith, fake faith. It just wasn't real. Why? Why wasn't it real? Because their faith did not result in a love for the Lord or a love for other people. Why? How do I know that? Because true love always manifests itself in service to other people. It always results in you serving someone else. That's true love. I want to tell you, friend, anyone who declares that they are a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ 
but their life is not dynamically changed, they are declaring wrongly. If anyone you know declares that they are a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, but their faith does not result in action, they have declared wrongly. You see, it's faith alone that justifies us before God. But that faith that justifies us before God is never alone. It always has corresponding action. True saving faith in Jesus always, always produces good works. And if it's not there, then maybe you have to wonder why it's not there. Serving the needs of others, is that evidence? Serving the needs of people, is that evidence that we provide of saving faith in Christ? So if there's no evidence, if there are no indicators of your faith, then what can we assume? We can assume that there is no faith. Because friends, dead faith, counterfeit faith, Fake faith is not true saving faith. Because someone with dead faith, all they have is this intellectual grasp of salvation. You see, in their mind, they know the doctrines. In their mind, they know what the Bible says about serving other people. But in reality, that person has yet to surrender his or her life to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's been said that no man, no woman can come to Christ by faith and stay the same any more than that same person can come to in contact with a 220 volt wire and stay the same. You're going to be changed, amen? Three times in one passage, three times in one passage, James warns that faith without action is dead. Faith without action is dead. Faith without action is dead. So friend, if you find yourself today being with dead faith, if you find yourself today with a counterfeit faith. If you find yourself today with a faith that ain't real, I want you to know it's not too late. It's not too late for you to revive your faith. But what you must do is make a conscious choice. You must choose. Choose to allow your faith to move you into action. You must allow your faith to move you into serving someone else. You must allow yourself to move you into serving the Lord Jesus Christ for His glory and for His honor. The Apostle Paul put it like this. He said, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. If we don't give up serving the Lord, if we don't give up serving other people, if we don't give up serving our families, we'll reap a harvest. Now here's a second point. 
that James reveals about faith. And it appears that apparently there were some professing Christians that have demonic faith. Demonic faith. He says in verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith like I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe there's one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. In these verses, what James is doing here is he's using shock value. He wants to get your attention. So he's trying to shock you into understanding that faith, the faith that some professing Christians have, is equivalent to the faith that a demon has. So is James saying that demons have faith? If they have faith, well, what is it that demons believe? Well, we know that demons believe in the existence of God. See, demons are not atheists. Demons are not agnostic. Demons are not unbelievers. Oh, listen to me carefully. They believe and tremble. But demons also believe in the godliness of Jesus. You may remember in Matthew chapter 8, in verse 29, Jesus encountered some demons, and those demons cried out to Jesus and said, Why are you interfering with us, Son of God? Have you come to torture us before God's appointed time? Oh, listen carefully. They believe. They believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. But demons also believe in a place of eternal punishment. That's right. Listen, do you remember when Jesus cast out the demons named Legion into that herd of pigs? Right? Do you remember what they said in Luke 8.31? They begged him. Over and over and over again, those, those demons begged Jesus not to order them into the bottomless pit of hell. James said, you believe there's one God? Good for you. Even the demons believe and tremble. You see, the man or the woman that has dead faith, is only touched in their intellect. But obviously these demons also show that they were touched in their emotions. For they believe and they tremble with fear. They were moved in their mind and moved in their heart. You see, a person can be enlightened about Jesus, can be enlightened about Jesus in his mind, even stirred in his heart, and be lost Forever. So it appears that true saving faith involves something more. True saving faith, it appears, involves something that can be seen. It appears that true saving faith involves something that can be recognized. True saving faith involves a changed life. True saving faith, being a Christian, involves trusting Christ and then living for Christ. True saving faith means you receive the life and then you reveal 
the life by how you live. The Bible says that Christ died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. You know, when I walked into this church this morning, it looked just about identical. It was cleaner, praise God. Uh, but it looked almost identical to the last time I was here, Friday morning. And I got to thinking that the only thing that changed about church was the date that I was there. I want to tell you that the only way that this church family is going to change is if every individual within it changes. For instance, imagine if every person in the building, every person listening online, imagine if every one of those Christians resolved that they were going to tell one person per week about the Savior that saved their soul. Just one person. This morning it looks like we probably got in the 45 bracket. Maybe with those that are listening also. So that means that 45 people would be exposed to the saving grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ just this week. 45. You multiply that times 4, and by the end of the month, that'd be 180 people that would have been exposed to the Savior that will save their soul. And if you take that and put it into a calculator, and you multiply it times 52 weeks, that's 2,160 people who would be exposed to the Lord Jesus Christ through the commitment and devotion and the true saving faith of the Christians here at Bethel Baptist Church. But here's the problem. Many churches have an integrity problem. Many churches teach that you can add Jesus Christ to your life, but not subtract sin from your life. There are many churches that teach that you can change your belief, and you don't have to change your behavior. There are churches that teach that there can be revival in the church without a reformation in your life. And likewise, there are Churches that teach that there can be faith, true saving faith, without sharing Jesus Christ in our community. But I believe that if we truly believe, if we have that that real genuine faith in Christ, if we've truly surrendered our life to His use, we're going to live obediently. And we're going to do what Jesus told us to do. And we learned week before last that Jesus commanded us to share the good news with people that didn't know. So if we live in sin or we live in disobedience, 
it's safe to say that something in our relationship with Christ is sorely wrong. If we live in sin or in disobedience, if we resolve, I ain't sharing. I'm not telling nobody about Jesus. Well, then we're living in disobedience and something is missing. Something's missing. So James has shown us that some professing Christians have dead faith while others have a faith that's equivalent to what demons have. But then James closes talking about the only true kind of saving faith. He says that some professing Christians truly have dynamic faith. Now that word dynamic is not a word we use very often, but dynamic refers to something that has great power. Dynamic refers to something that is characterized by continuous change. You see, you ought to be changing daily. You ought to be getting closer to Christ daily. We ought to be more and more obedient daily. But we're reminded that dynamic is also characterized by progress. Progress in your walk with Christ. Progress of the church in reaching our community. So when we take dynamic and we put the word faith with it, dynamic faith is a faith that's real. It's a faith that's genuine. Dynamic faith has power. Dynamic faith results in changed lives. Not only our own, but the ones outside this building. James describes dynamic faith in three ways. Quickly, he says that dynamic faith, first of all, is based on the Word of God. In James 1.18, he says, God gives us spiritual rebirth by the word of truth. James 1.21 says, we should receive with meekness the implanted word which can save your soul. Romans 10.17, the Apostle Paul said that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then James used these Old Testament illustrations of old Abraham and Rahab to depict this dynamic faith that we should all have since both of them not only heard the word, but they responded to the word. Dead faith only touches the mind. Demonic faith involves the mind and emotions, but this dynamic faith involves the will. We choose to do the will of God. So the whole person is involved in dynamic faith. The mind understands the truth. The heart desires the truth. And the will acts upon the truth. That's dynamic faith. And Abraham and Rahab were people of action. God spoke and they obeyed. Let us be people who hear the word and respond to it. Let us be people who respond to God when He speaks His Word. And can I tell you that God still speaks today? But the question begs to be asked, are you hearing from God? I know you do on Sunday morning. Are you hearing from God on a daily basis? How can you respond to something you ain't hearing? Let us all respond to the Word of God. Dynamic faith is based on the Word of God. It involves the whole person. But perhaps most importantly, dynamic faith leads to action. 
By faith in Jesus Christ, people are justified before God and their righteousness is declared. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, For He, Jesus, our God, made He, Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. But by works, by action, by deeds, good deeds, we're justified before men, and our righteousness is demonstrated. See, your works don't have anything to do with you being saved, But if you're saved, good works will have a whole lot to do with your life. Sadly, there are still believers that fit the bill found in Titus chapter 1 verse 16. Where Titus said they profess that they know God. But in their lives, they deny Him. Today, you and I are given the full revelation of God in His Word. And the full revelation of God in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. We live on the grace side of the cross. And we have God's Holy Spirit to teach us and show us and guide us where and what we need to be doing. But the great men and women of the Old Testament, they didn't have all those tools. They didn't have those things. But Abraham and Rahab, their faith was incredible. They had dynamic faith. They heard the word. And they responded to the Word. Their faith was based on the Word of God. And it involved the whole person, the mind, the heart, and the will. And their faith led to action. Their faith led them to do something about it. Last week, Jesus told us how to make followers. He said, go, make disciples, baptize them, And teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's how we're to go about making faithful followers. But today, Jesus' half-brother James tells us how we can be a faithful follower. Make sure that your faith is coupled, coupled with corresponding action. Because belief without obedience is worthless. Belief without obedience, is worthless. So it's important, friend, that every person here today, that every person listening in, examine his or her own life. And that you examine your life and you make sure that you possess this kind of dynamic faith that James was talking about. That's the only real, true saving faith. So sometimes we've got to ask ourselves those hard questions. Am I possessing what I'm professing? Do I have the faith that I tell people I do? What do I need to do to change? How about couple corresponding actions to what you profess? By faith. How can I be a Christian with dynamic faith? I'm thankful that while it's not always easy, it is simple. And that is any human being needs to understand that everybody sins. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
And that there are consequences to that. That the wages of sin is death. But praise God, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need to know that God loves us so much that He demonstrated His own love toward us while we were still sinners. Christ Jesus died for us. We need to know that it's only by the grace of God. For by grace you are saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And finally, we need to be able to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead. And the Bible says, you shall be saved. You can walk out of here a different person than you walked in. Maybe it's time for you to be saved. Maybe it's time for you to be able to walk in the assurance that when your days on earth are through, you're going to heaven. Do you have that assurance in your life? Do you have that confidence in your life? If so, don't leave here until you know. But there may be others that are here or listening that are professing a big game. They're professing their faith, but they don't possess it. Their faith is not coupled with corresponding action. They're not living their faith. They're not doing what they're saying they're doing. You can walk out of here different than you walked in. And I want to pray for you. Whatever decision you need to make today, don't leave until you've made that decision. Let me pray. Father God.